Welcome to the Wolfhounds Podcast from the DMZ and beyond. Hear stories, memories, and more from the Vietnam veterans who served faithfully in Vietnam. You've never heard Vietnam like this. Welcome to the microphone, your host. Did this guy even serve? Tim Quintrell. I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy. Man, good afternoon and welcome to the Wolfhounds podcast. Man, it is episode five. Can you believe we're almost to the halfway point of season one? We're so excited to be here with John, Big John Quintrell. How are you, my friend? Hey, Tim. We're we're uh, still broadcasting live and direct from Helena, Montana. We're glad to be here. You know, a lot of times I think when I get up in the morning and I get my feet on the ground and I start walking, it's a good day, buddy. So it's a good day today, Tim. It's a good day to be alive. Glad you're here with us. And uh, we've got with us again, we we almost uh, just couldn't resist. This, this podcast is part two of uh, basically we got to sit down with Wolfhound Russ Brun's wife, Becky Bruns. And Becky, I want to welcome you to the show this morning. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Thank you very much for including me. Appreciate it. So we got to a lot of stuff in the first episode, which was episode four. If you missed that episode, you've got to go back and hear. Uh, this is really cool. Russ and Becky, they were married 55 years this year. This December, they'll be 55 years in marriage. And they actually uh, were married before Russ went to Vietnam. And uh, quite an interesting life to be 18, 19 years old split up serving your country with your wife at home and then getting injured. And I want to pick up where we left off. We had by the, just, by the, by the way, big Tim, I think it's worth mentioning. I'll be married 55 years this, uh, December as well. Huh? Uh, unfortunately I, I had to do that three times to get to that mark, but Hey, there you go. Now, uh, for those of you <laughs> listening, please don't judge the podcast on what was just said, but there is some truth there. <laughs> Once, twice, three times married. <laughs> That's funny. Even if I do say myself, so we got to start over. You're, you're such a doggone you why do you do that to me see that's the problem is you take me and you make me laugh and then i can't i get stuck oh let me, well let me go back yeah that's right once twice three times i'm married that's funny stuff but uh we all have our crosses to bear becky's is a lot smaller than yours i'll just say that so becky why don't we go back and uh, i just want we you had just talked to us about russell's injury and that he was getting ready to be flown stateside. And I think that where he went after Japan was Fitzsimmons. Is that correct? Yes, in Denver. And so how many days or weeks was it before he got to Fitzsimmons from the moment of his injury? Uh, it was almost, let me think. I think it was a month, just about a month, because he spent a couple, three weeks in Japan so that they could get him you know, ready, do what they could, and then get him in line to go to Fitzsimmons. So it was almost exactly a month from the time he was hurt. So what's it like? You're in Illinois. You have to drive. You don't fly, correct? 
Oh, no. Yeah, I, I was going. I didn't care if I had to hitchhike. I was going to be there when he got there. So and you the day he was supposed to come, they did. The army sent me a telegram and kept me informed when he went to Yokohama. And then they said, and on this day, he's scheduled to go to Travis Air Force Base and then be re put on a plane to go to Denver to Fitzsimmons. And he should be there on March, whatever day it was. Wow. So you beat him. So you beat him to the punch. You got there before him. No, I got there the same day he same arrived. Day. Yeah. So what, what's tell I, this, this might be a little difficult, but tell me what it was like when you first got to see Russ after his injury. Um, it was emotional. It was a, a big relief to finally be able to give him a hug. But it was uh, it was hard to see his face all bandaged and know that he had no sight because at that time he had no sight in either eye. You know, at the, I mean, they kept him covered and he back then the surgery and all of that stuff was very different than it is today. And so he had to lay, you know, he he wasn't supposed to sit up too awfully long. And and uh, anyway, he was it was good to see him. Hey, Becky, Becky, where where did you stay when you went to uh, Fitzsimmons? Well, I stayed at the guest house at at Fitzsimmons Hospital. They had a small guest house there. And, you know, you shared a bathroom and you had a cot and a dresser. And I think there was a small desk maybe in the room. It was minimal. But, hey, it was like for 30 days you could stay there for, I don't know, a couple bucks a day. So it was that was nice that I could be there and I could park my car and just walk over to the hospital from the guest. Is that where you, is that where you stayed the whole time you you were there with Russ? Oh no, I can only stay there thirty days. So then I had to find an apartment and try to you know get to wherever I could so that I could stay because when I left Illinois, um, I knew I was staying for however long he was going to be there one way or the other. So I had to find an apartment that I could rent, that I could have enough money to make a $52 a month car payment on my 66 Mustang. And mm. then I had to find an apartment that I could rent. So we got a small basement apartment in um, somebody's house. So but it made it work. So how, yeah. how, how is it? How is it? And, and how many, let me ask you this. How many days... Did he stay at, like, how long were you there? Cause you mentioned 30 days. So how long was he there at Fitzsimmons? Um, he got there in March of 69 and he got to go home um, when they gave him. And then he had 30 day leave, but in the end of January. So he was there from March till January. Let me see. So March March, April, May, June, July. I mean, he's there just under a year. Yeah. And then, you know, big, you know, big Tim, we're really impressed with your math uh, skills. (laughs) You know what? I'm glad you have 10 fingers. That's all I can tell you that. Listen, I'm just, I I apologize in advance, but I'm sitting here and I never knew this. And I'm start. there's so many things that are coming up in my mind. Like back in the day, I mean, you had a car payment. You didn't have children at the time, but, but I, I wrote down a note here to ask you 
did your family financially support? Did his family financially support? Was there any support given? No, no, they couldn't because my folks had three other kids and then his mom and dad, they, you know, his mom didn't work and all of that. So yeah, nope, there was nothing. So it was us on our own from the day we got married, which was what we wanted. And, and that's, the, that's how you raised your kids to be independent. Mom and dad, when you were old enough to get married, you were old enough to take care of yourself. So did you get a job there in Denver? No, I did not because I was going to be at the hospital. My job was to be an assistant donut dolly. That was my job. <laughs> so I am jokingly saying that, but I got coffee. I actually administered meds for some of the young nurses when they were really busy. I helped give eye drops to the guys when they had them with them. And so, yeah, so my job was to be there as, as a uh, supportive person. And I might add at that point, Moose was there at the same time, wasn't yes, he? But, yep. He came down to see us not too many days after Russ was there. He found out that we were there. And so Moose came down to see us. So we got to visit with Moose off and on from the time that they, that we, uh, we were there, which was always a treat. So I'm going to guess, I guess Captain Obvious, but I'm going to guess that Russell continued to get compensated for his military service and efforts, and that's just how you guys sustained you being there. Once I got an apartment and my 30 days was up at the guest house, then um, he got a bonus. He got a a uh, stipend, I guess they called it for off-base housing. A housing, so, yeah, housing allowance. Yeah, so I think we were making probably about maybe, I'm guessing maybe 150 or $60 a month instead of whatever the 117 or whatever. Yeah, he was in high cotton whenever we were getting combat pay. So, wow. Wow. <laughs> that was not high cotton, let me tell you, but at least it, you know. But and just Just for those of you out there that don't know what combat pay is, when a soldier's in an active combat zone, combat pay was $65 a month. That was, that was what it was for, you know, having your life out there hanging on the end of the string. 65 a month. That's crazy. You want more of the Wolfhounds? Check them out on the web at www.wolfhoundssecond27th.org. You can also follow the Wolfhounds on Facebook, Wolfhounds Second 27th. You want more? Go see over 100 interviews with Vietnam veterans who faithfully serve their country at YouTube.com. Look up the Wolfhounds Forever channel. Now, back to the show. I uh, So I'm sitting here listening to this, and again, I'm thinking that here's a young man. He's not even 21 years of age at this point. And no, at that point, he was just 21. He had just turned 21. Okay. And he's blind this what what was what was he like give, give us a little bit of his demeanor what was russ like and when he, he was at the hospital was he was it all roses to him did he have bad days did he want to give up the fight what was what was it like for him um he was just being rust he knew he was going to be okay and he did what the doctors told him to do and he was just doing what he had to do to get by and just you know I mean, he's just him. He's the constant. He's always a, you know, there's, there's going to be a brighter day and I can do this. And it was funny because when he was in Yokohama, 
they give him things to do to keep him busy. And he made a wallet. And I don't know how many people, you know, the little plastic things that you used to put around. Sure. Like for, that you do in Bible school and things like that. He still got the wallet that he made in Yokohama. And there was something else that they had him do to keep him busy. So he said, hey, I can learn to eat by the clock. Because if you're blind, you learn that your meat's at 3 o'clock and your vegetables are at 12 o'clock on your plate. So you know where's what on your plate. He learned to do that and they gave him classes on how to be blind. And he said, if I'm going to be blind the rest of my life, then you might as well start practicing right now. Did they did they start teaching him Braille? No, no, they don't do that. Okay. They, but if if it if he had been permanently blind, I would think that at some point in time that would have been. But this was just a temporary so that he can at least function. They taught him how to, you know, to count your steps to find to make his way to the bathroom when he was in bed in his room. Those kind of things. When I was there in Denver, he knew he had to, you know, feel to the left to find his roommate's bed. And then it was five steps to the door to the bathroom. But he shaved when he was blind. They said, do you want somebody to shave you? And he said, no, I've been shaving for five years. I can I know my face. So he used the old safety razor and shaved himself the man is independent let's put it that way that's amazing well and i might add tim it was no difficult task for russ to shave because i think he only had peach fuzz on his face at that point so i don't don't think there was much there was never a mustache nor could there have been but yeah he did (laughs) you know that that poor man's not here to defend himself against you two (laughs) yeah i know so so, uh (laughs) How many surgeries did he have? Um, He had two. He had one when he went to Yokohama. And that's when they determined that his, um, well, no. Yeah, he had one just as the emergency surgery. And then when he got to Denver, he had um, the cataract surgery. And that that was an interesting thing because it is not now or or what it was then, let me tell you. It was not a walk in the park. And he's got some pretty interesting stories to tell about how that shook out. When the doctor says, lay still, we're going to put four needles in your eye. That's a little unnerving. So anyway. No pun intended, um, Tim. No pun intended. Yeah. So So, when did he when did he uh, first receive his sight or a glimmer of that? When did he first start to get his sight back? Um, his uncle came to visit us because his uncle worked in government services and was up at, um, I think up by Greeley or someplace up in there in Colorado. So he came down to see him and, um, his, and at, back in those days you could smoke in hospitals and he had had his surgery and he was on limited activity and he had an eye patch on that had holes in it. So he could, it would let his eye breathe and stuff instead of being all totally gauzed over and everything. Hmm. And his uncle lit a cigarette standing next to his bed. And he said, did you just turn on a light? And that's the first indication that we knew he had sight. Wow. And so it was like, praise God for that. We don't know how good it's going to be, but at least there was sight in one eye. But the doctors told us when he, after he had his initial surgery, that his right eye, there would be no light perception because the shrapnel had tumbled on the inside of his eye and torn up all the nerves and damaged the retina. 
So we knew he was going to be blind in that eye for sure, but we did not know what it was going to be like for his left eye. And we knew then at that point he had sight of some kind. So I'm going to, you've touched on something a few times here. And I just want to, if you feel comfortable sharing, I've heard you say now things like praise the Lord, you know, and you made Russ made reference about, you know, God will never forgive us and how that impacted. Were you and were you and Russ uh, people of faith? Like what, what was your religious background at that point? I was more than he was, but, um, you know, it, <clears throat> he was young and his family did do some church, but not, not like my family did, but thank God now he is. And, and when did that, when did he, uh, accept the Lord into his heart? I'm assuming you guys are Christians. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And do you remember when that happened? It would have been probably in about maybe 1974, five, somewhere in there. Yeah. He was baptized and accepted the Lord. Yeah. Wow. And what, uh, what kind of, uh, are you guys Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Christian? What? We're independent Christian. Gotcha. And I know you've uh, got the ladies still on the prayer chain for Big John. You guys are still trying to get him home, aren't you? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we, <laughs> those prayers do not go unanswered. It just takes God's time. <laughs> I, I'm asking the Lord for a taser. I think we need to motivate him with some electricity myself. <laughs> so, so let, let's, uh, let's come around now. He starts to receive his sight. You guys get to go home back to Illinois. And what was the what was the process of recovery for him? How many how many years? Let's just talk about that. Did it take for him to fully recover, or to, or at least to where he could see and function? And oh, after he was back, once he got his sight, because he got um, released in January, and then he had thirty days leave still coming before they officially discharged him. So he had his full two years service in, and um, he went back to work. I mean, he was, he worked with a group of wonderful people that let him go back to work at the sign company, but there were some things because he was a neon tube bender, you know, where he made letters out of neon glass. And it was very apparent after he started back to work that he could not do that because it takes really infinite depth perception to be able to do that. Mm. So he wasn't able, he tried. And he practiced, but he just did not have the depth perception to be able to do that anymore. But he also worked with electricity, you know, doing the electrical part of signs. So he he did that end of it. He could paint, do some things like that. So they did hired they- back and they accepted him. And there was never any of the horrible things that a lot of the guys went through. He was a hero to the guys that he worked with because they were all veterans also. Yeah, did, he they, is a hero. did they have him climbing up on billboards? Oh yeah, he was a bill poster. So he, <laughs> oh, yeah. and he also, um, you know, the big gas station signs on the interstate where it's like Texaco or whatever that are like yep. eighty here. That was his favorite. So he did all of that. So, so I want to ask you this, Becky. It, yeah. This is this is interesting. Not only do you have a Vietnam veteran. Uh, that you're married to, but now you have an injured, recovering Vietnam veteran. What was that like as his wife having a, a veteran who not only served 
and but then went through some horrifying trauma and had a injury tell us what that was like you know um there's just minor adjustments that we had to make so you know well, i'll t- can i tell you a funny story sure so when he was at denver at the hospital and we were living in our little apartment in the basement the bathroom was actually in the hallway and so outside of the main door into the apartment and so one time i was being goofy like you are when you're young and happy to be together and i hid outside of the bathroom door and when he opened the bathroom door i jumped out in front of him and if i had not ducked i would have probably had a punch in the face and a broken neck because oh my goodness you know, and we've had that happen. I mean, it still happens. You, If he's on a spooky day, don't step up on his right side because you're liable to get the reaction you don't want to get where you better let him know you're standing beside him. So, and so are you are you referring to some PTSD that that carried with him? Yeah. And that is very apparent in many things that he does. It's not horrible. He's managed it for the most part, but there are times where, like I said, with the sainthood with my children and my grandchildren, I know what it is. It's hard for them to, um, I guess, accept why does he have to be like that? Well, that's the post-traumatic stress part of it. He never drank. He never did drugs. You know, the horrible marriages that people go through and the emotional stuff. But it's very apparent that there is still that's there. I think and Becky's. I think Becky's talking about my portfolio. <laughs> so well, you know, I, 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 uh, you know, I think it, it goes without saying. Um, you know, I, I'm very proud of the wolfhounds and the soldiers. And if you're listening to this and you served uh, in the military, thank you for your service. But I also want to thank you for getting healthy, go see a counselor. Don't give up. If, if, uh, you know, sometimes our, our own government is, is not very kind to our veterans. And, uh, I I'm thankful that did, did Russ get some counseling over the years? Did he get any help or anything like that? He did not have any help until probably the, I'm guessing probably the late 1980s. Um, and it was apparent that there were things that that were eating him, but he would never, never, ever say anything. And so he did do some three or four months of counseling and it helped, but it didn't totally because the young man that he counseled with was private because there wasn't anything for that. You know, P.S. P, uh, yeah, P- PTSD. Sure. Uh, Happen. It was not a real thing and recognized until later than that, unless you were a total basket case, you know. And so he did some private counseling and it helped a little. And then um, when we were out here in Great Falls, Big John kept pushing and pushing and he went to a counselor here for a while. But it's still apparent there's still and there always will be those things that, you know. You know, I, I've, I've had, you know, I've had to learn sometimes the hard way, uh, being with dad and traveling with him extensively over the last few years, it's been a privilege. Uh, I have to take into consideration certain things. I've got friends that served, um, you know, we, uh, one of my friends, uh, it used to really 
I, I didn't realize it irritated him, but it would if 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 he didn't get to pick the seat in the restaurant, you know, and a lot of vets are early. They want to it's control. They have if they can, you know, we were we were at a restaurant the other day and dad uh, picked the seat and I was frustrated and I just I remembered, wait, dad needs to, you know, and that's what happens. They have to set a perimeter in their minds and have to yep. figure out where it's at and what they're doing and and that's yeah. the things that the kids and the grandkids are like, why does he have to be like that? I said, you just have to accept, dust yourself off and let it alone. And as his counselor out here said, so how have you made it through all these years? And I said, you know what? I pick my fights. <laughs> and it's not always peaceable, but I, I learned to know that I can go downstairs or take a walk and let it go. And it's not my problem problem it's his problem but i'm you know you deal with it because you love him well 55 years of marriage i i'm just going to tell you that is one high bar to beat that that is amazing and i and i hope that you uh you guys make it to 60 so as we're kind of turning the corner on this i just i want to hit a couple things first of all he left vietnam he goes to denver he comes home did he uh was he he was uh, honorably discharged, but was he given disability or, or or compensation for that for his injuries? Well, we took Army retirement, which was a lot less than the VA, but um, we talked to his um, um, Calhoun, his doctor Calhoun out there, and and we also talked to his uncle that I referred to earlier, and his uncle said, if you don't want the hassle of the VA, just take the Army pay and leave it alone. Because with the VA, it's nothing but a hassle. And if you don't do what they say, they drop you like a hot potato. Mm. So, and that was the truth. And so he did go to the VA a couple of times to like for a hearing check. And he went one time for an eye checkup. And it was just nothing but a joke at that point in time so he said that's it i'm done i'm not even gonna go back i'll take care of all of it on my own because it's not worth the hassle oh. and and is that the way it's been to this day i mean he doesn't he doesn't go to the va now or do any of that no we actually went to the dav here in great falls and the guys at the dav after he had tried at the vet at the va in helena um, a guy told him he was stupid for not taking the VA benefits that he deserved all those years. Mm. And he told, and of course, then Mr. Bruns gets his ire up and he's like, see, I told you it's the same crap all the time. And they, you know, and so anyway, somebody told us to check out the DAV office here in Great Falls. They were wonderful. They answered the questions that he had about switching for spousal benefits as well as keeping his benefits and what, you know, what we could do. And within 60 days, he's got full compensation from the VA. And then um, after he had his um, heart problem that he had, his the counselor that he was going to that I alluded to earlier here in Great Falls, she told him check into his heart condition because it might be an agent orange and it was. So mm. now he's got full disability, um, non, what do they call it? Non, um, employable disability from the VA now. Well, that's, that's the least that they can do. I'm thankful for that. And Russell, Russell, uh, worked, you said as a sign builder. Um, uh, no, he was a, 
um, he did sign maintenance, but he yeah. also did installation of signs. And, and that, then he went through the apprenticeship and he's a, a union electrician. And then so, what, el- what else did he do? Was there anything else besides being an electrician or was that pretty much it? Oh, no. He worked for the post office. He hoofed mail for 20 years. So he did that when, um, when he wasn't working as an electrician. When the construction business crashed in the 80s, he went to work for the post office. Becky, what do you- how, many, how many times did Russell go postal? Um, well, he didn't, <laughs> but I'm sure he made his supervisors. I know he made his supervisor's life miserable a few times, him and a few of the other veterans that he worked with. Yeah. I've heard some stories that, uh, Russell, Russell would not put up with their, uh, with their corruption. So he, he definitely wanted them to live integrously and work integrously. Well, you know, when there's rules, rules apply to everybody. And I guess that's part of the post-traumatic stress thing is that what's good for one's good for the other. So he reminded them of that many times. Becky, I want to know something, Becky. When did you guys start having a family? um, I, when he was discharged from the army, I was pregnant at the time with our first child. So tell, tell us about your kids. My kids, they're, they are, um, Good kids. We have three, two sons and a daughter, and they're the boys are over fifty now, and Jennifer is approaching that. And they're good kids. They're very independent, and they are very good parents. And you know, we just love them to death. But there's times where I'm glad I'm fourteen hundred miles away. <laughs> what are the boy, What are the boys' names? Uh, Jason and Jacob. And Jennifer's the three kids. Okay, that's excellent. Um, so, I, I, as we were kind of on our last lap around this course now, and I just want to ask you: you guys have been friends with uh, John and and his wife Laura for a long time. How, how did you guys initially get reconnected? Um, I think we, John and I, kind of loosely exchanged letters, and you know, all of us back and forth. Christmas cards, whatever. We lost track of him for a while. And I cannot remember for the life of me um, how for sure I knew he had gone off selling yellow pages somewhere. And I think I got a hold of your stepmom, John and Cody. Mm-hmm. And I got, I think that's how I ended up tracking you down. And so that's how, kind of how we reconnected after years. And we looked for Moose for years, but we couldn't remember how to spell his last name. All he knew it was Molenhauer. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, lost track of everybody. And then with through John, we started finding some of the other guys. But yeah. Yeah. And you guys have reconnected now and, and been over 20 years of reunions and fishing trips. I mean, your boys had a great time with their dad on the fishing trips. Oh and, yeah. Uh, there was a felt like there was some great healing there between the fathers and sons. I I was part of that myself. It was really good. So I think greater understandings. Yeah. Yeah, that I think so for sure. Well, Becky, listen, uh I'm gonna give you the microphone for the next couple minutes. If if you had anything that you wanted to say to kids or a spouse of a veteran, what would you tell them? Hmm. I think patience is definitely um, required and don't give up on them and a great deal of respect because we have no idea 
what their day-to-day is like, especially when they're in, you know, in, in uh, harm's way. But the coming back to the real world is not always the world that they, they see it as. So, but I think just the, a greater respect for what they do and what they have done and just, just support them as much as you can. But also don't cut them any slack because, you know, they, they got to be human too and, and, and get back with what reality is on this side. So I don't know. And I'm thankful you said that. That reminds me of when uh, dad and I were in the Minneapolis airport and I'll just leave it at that one. <laughs> Come on, old man. <laughs> we're going to miss the plane. <laughs> well, Becky, you are an amazing, amazing person. And we are thankful and honored to know you and we love you. And I hope that the folks listening to this will uh, feel the same way. And your husband is a giant. He is such a loving kind i i treasure knowing him and getting to spend time with him and big john any last thoughts for russ and becky before we go well you know what russ and becky have been a part of my family for ever since russ and i moved in together in that half round in crockett fire support base and it's an amazing story because uh when russell got hurt becky and i kept uh writing letters back and forth and she would give me reports on how Russell was doing, and I'd give her reports on what was going on in Vietnam. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize the loss that uh, a combat veteran experiences when his buddy is injured and, and left the field. And it happens so quickly. It happens immediately that you don't get a chance to say anything to him. You don't get a chance to tell him your feelings or anything. And uh, I, if it hadn't have been for Becky, you know, keeping in touch with me over that period of time, I would have, I would have been a lot worse off than I was. And at that time, I we were losing a lot of guys. You know, we were losing a lot of guys, and and uh, so Becky was faithful and and uh, always uh, kept in touch. And then that that's kind of how it carried over when when uh, I got back to the world. I, I promised Russ and Becky that the first thing I was going to do is I was going to come to Fitzsimmons and see him. And as soon as I got home, that's exactly what I did. I got in my car and drove to Denver, and I spent some days with them. And it was – that for me was – I it, it was just so great to be back with them. And, of course, that was the first time I actually met Becky in person. Right. And uh, – and, uh, but, you know, and our friendship is just, like I said, they're, uh, Russ and Becky and, and their kids are just as much a part of my family as my kids are. Well, thank, thank listen. I, I feel like I'm their second mom sometimes. <laughs> I like it. Well, listen, on behalf of the Wolfhounds, Becky, thank you so much for being a part of the Wolfhounds podcast. And on behalf of uh, John and myself, Thank you for being a great listener. Those of you out there, thanks for supporting us. Like, share, and suggest that someone listens to this historic uh, Wolfhound podcast. And thanks again, and we will see you next time. You want more of the Wolfhounds? Go to the Wolfhounds website 
wolfhound2nd27th.org. Join us on YouTube for over 100 interviews. Keywords, Wolfhounds forever. Until next time, remember this. The freedom of this great nation was built on the blood, sweat, tears, and graves of those brave men and women who served and served this country well. Thanks to all our Wolfhounds brothers and sisters. Nek Espera Tarrant. <laughs> <laughs>